Hi, I'm Hannah Carden. I'm the teaching pastor here at Urban Village Church. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she and her, and if you would, I would invite you to pray with me. God of playfulness, of surprise and joy and wonder, God of good at the heart of everything that hurts us, be with us here today. Help us to know you, to be captured by you, to see you in new ways. Help us to find your spirit of playfulness as it rests upon us. And let it change us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen a miracle? Maybe not a burning bush miracle or a clouds broken open miracle, but an in-your-life miracle, <laughs> something among people or places that you've been around your whole life and then something extraordinary happens and you are befuddled by it. I have. <laughs> I have been lucky enough to see God's miracles a few times in my life and each time it has changed me and taught me and opened me up to something new about God that I didn't know before, to a new way of being with God, of being loved by God and of loving God that I just couldn't see before it happened. One of those miracles is one that I think about often. My first child was a few months old and my husband's grandmother who had, um, been a huge part of his life and our family was ill with several different ailments, amongst them dementia, which meant that things were getting harder and harder for the people who loved her most because she would be in different parts of her life when they came to her, parts they didn't know, speaking literal languages that they didn't understand. She wouldn't recognize them or know who they were and it was becoming harder and harder to feel connected to this person who everyone loved so deeply and dearly. And we wanted to make sure that our kid could meet her great-grandmother um, before that felt impossible or before she passed. And so we, we traveled to where she lived and we got together and we knew that she might not fully understand what was going on. She might not know our names or her name or anything that was happening and still be with her, with her love and with her care. And that's what we were there to do. <laughs> and I still remember the moment when we arrived and put our daughter in her arms. And for a few hours, it was like she snapped back to the person that I had met before. She knew who we were. She knew who this baby was. She knew that she was her great-grandmother. And we shared this precious time together of wonderment <laughs> that life goes on, um, that babies who write, they eat, they sleep, and they play, <laughs> that she could giggle and that we could laugh at what she giggled at and that we could just be, just be together. I'd never seen anything like it, and I haven't since. That something about um, being with the youngest made her be in a new way or find a new thing. And it didn't last forever and it didn't need to. She was precious to us either way. But it was this gift, this surprise, this miracle. 
and it made me appreciate something I had never fully appreciated before, which was the work of a friend of mine who I had met through doing um, improv, which since you are, live in Chicago, probably you, everybody has a friend who does improv. <laughs> that is what our city is. Um, but improv, right, is a, a way of playing together where you create new scenes or theater or games um, out of who you are and who another person is and who another person is that never existed before and will never exist again from the moment, from creativity. And I was never a pro, it was never the biggest part of my life, but it was something I loved to do that awakened something in me that I always found hard to find. I'm a person who likes control and who likes predictability and improv made me find spontaneity and playfulness. And one of my teachers, as I studied, um, was someone who not only taught folks improv games and practice and ways to find that capacity within themselves, he worked specifically with caregivers of people who had Alzheimer's and dementia. And he taught them improv, not as a way to play, which would be enough, which is a good enough reason, but as a way to meet the people they were caring for where they were. A hard thing for a caregiver of someone um, who experiences one of these ailments is that they can become convinced that their job with a person who is sort of hopping from place to place or reality to reality or time in their past to time in their past is to draw them back to the shared moment with the caregiver to say, no, no mom, no auntie, no grandma. It's not that year, it's this one. That's not what's happening. We're here, you're with me. You're in this moment, which only ever ends up causing more pain <laughs> for both um, the person and the caregiver trying to make something happen that isn't going to happen, at least not without an unexpected miracle. And so he would teach improv skills to say, why demand that they come to where you are? Go down the river with them. Go to where this person is. And he would teach people these gifts of spontaneity and creativity and being in the moment so that they could be in whatever moment their loved one was in. If that person was asking them questions about a time they didn't know or a place they hadn't been, they would go with it, right? And they would say, tell me more about that. Or they would be the person who the one they loved expected them to be. And it created all of this freedom <laughs> that instead of trying to control and trying to change and trying to desperately wish for something that could not be and was not, they could instead be in a moment they had created together. And if not, in what they might call shared reality, they were at least present. Present to God, present to one another. And I became newly appreciative of what that ministry must have been <laughs> to find in play love and care and mindfulness of what is as a gift, instead of seeing only the painful burdens of the reality that is in front of us. I find this same sense of miracle, of extraordinary shift in the Isaiah passage that we read today as he describes what things will be like when kingdom come, when God's will be done, when on earth it is as it is in heaven. 
that is what this writer is up to today, this writer of the first third of Isaiah, because Isaiah is a prophecy um, rich in history and rich in writers. It comes from multiple people who were living through some of the hardest times in the history of Israel. And when they were living through those terrible times, times of war, times of betrayal, times of politicking, they came and inspired by God, wrote prophecies of both the truth of what was happening now and the continued truth of what could be. And this chapter 11 is an extraordinary one because for most of the chapters right before and right after this, Isaiah is angry. He's telling the truth about the things that his people and his country have done wrong, right? We have not been just, we have not been righteous, we have not done right by each other. And it gets interrupted then by this extraordinary description of how right and just things are going to still become despite our failures, despite how wrong things have gone because of who God is. And his description is beautiful. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. I worry sometimes, I wonder, if because we are not the agricultural people of the 8th century BCE who Isaiah was speaking to, we miss out on some of how extraordinary this passage is. Many of us grew up like reading books or watching cartoons where wolves and lambs did play together, where bears and cows were buddies. We don't have the same daily intimacy with animal life, with nature, and with agriculture that his hearers would have heard. And so I worry that we miss how shocking what he describes is, how amazing the kingdom is going to be. That when he's talking about these pairs that will play together, that will play forever and at last, he is talking about the animals that the people he's talking to would have seen as being the biggest enemies possible, the most opposite. Maybe we might imagine, right, that the scriptures instead say that Republicans and Democrats will play together. They will have fun games of tag. Maybe that's what would give us the surprise. To the people who were listening to this scripture, what they would have heard was predator and prey, right? Hunter and hunted coming to be together in a moment of safety and play. For us, maybe it is those who shoot guns and those who have been shot by them will play and lie down together. That is how surprising this passage seems. For us, maybe we have read books about toddlers and babies making friends with snakes that can talk. But to imagine the kind of overcoming of danger, the kind of upturning of the world, that Isaiah describes God will bring about, we might rather imagine, you will send your toddler out into busy traffic. These are the things that suggest to us how unusual, how amazing, Isaiah's vision that he has been given by God of what the kingdom we are intended for will be like is to our everyday experience. And this is a promise. 
it's not just a dream, it's what we pray for. It's what God tells us the world will one day be like. How could that be? <laughs> How do we get from here to there? How can we believe in what is and what will be? This same scripture passage offers a hint. Isaiah says that a Messiah will come. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. From a place where it seemed like nothing could grow anymore. From a dead plant, from a root, from a stump. Something grand will grow. Life will come back from places we thought were dead. And on him, the Lord's spirit will rest. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of planning and strength. A spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Every faith community that loves this passage that has been changed by this scripture for whom Isaiah is a prophet has a different interpretation, right, of what this chapter means, of who it's talking about, of what it's talking about, of what we should expect from it. But for us as Christians, we believe that the Messiah it calls to is Jesus Christ, right? That the way that the kingdom comes about, the way that something so surprising can be real as this kind of playfulness among enemies is that Jesus Christ will come and upon him will be the Lord's spirit. And the Lord's spirit is so powerful and so mighty and so extraordinary that all things will be changed and all things will be possible. And if we believe the rest of the scriptures, what the New Testament says about the spirit, that doesn't just mean that there will be change and that all that is possible then somewhere down the road. It means that all things can change and all things are possible now as we live in the Holy Spirit that Jesus has offered to us. This is the promise of the Pentecost, that the Spirit which comes particularly upon Jesus Christ, the Spirit that will make all things new, that is bringing us to new Jerusalem, while it may not be complete in our lives, in this moment, in our experience of Christian faith and the world, it is certainly here and it is certainly moving. There is no moment in your life when the Spirit is not at work. There is no moment in your life when the Spirit does not rest upon you and when the Spirit cannot do the work of the Spirit, which is powerful, earth-moving things. Like bringing play and love and growth to places where we thought play and love and growth were ended forever. This same spirit is ours. Throughout this sermon series, we have been looking at play and playfulness as practices of God that we can see in all of the aspects of the Trinity, right? We started out in Genesis and we see the playfulness of God as creator, creating rivers that flow and move still in us where we can find movement and play in our lives now because we are invited to be co-creators with God, to enter into that creation and join God in endless possibility. We have seen playfulness in Jesus Christ, who um, as one of our mentors for this series, uh, the, the director of the Center for Play and Exploration in Pittsburgh said to us, he said, you know, Jesus is always playful. He's always kind of 
saying, telling parable stories that uh, people need keys to unlock that are kind of puzzly. He's always saying things to disciples that they never quite figure out until later. He loves to be silly. He loves to play with words and with stories, but he becomes twice as playful after the resurrection. <laughs> Which is totally true, right? After the resurrection, Jesus is appearing to folks in a, on the Emmaus Road and kind of talking to them. And then all of a sudden, woohoo, it's me. <laughs> He's appearing to people on beaches and at sea and, and in locked rooms. And this playfulness comes out that is the playfulness of saying death does not win. The playfulness of saying there is more at work. The playfulness of saying... Um, there is hidden Christ beneath every meal that you have and every place that you are. I can be known to you in the sharing of it. I can be known to you in relationship. And today we hear in Isaiah about the playfulness of the spirit, the spirit that is always with us, the Holy Spirit that is so playful, it's never quite been captured by anybody. Some people think of the Holy Spirit as water, some as a dove or a bird, others as a chicken or a pheasant, um, still others as a fire and a flame, others as simply that, that voice within that guides us to the places where God is. And if we are going to enter into God's promises, this suggests to me that we must embrace our playfulness, which at the end of the day is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit is talking to us. What if we believed that the command of creation made real in the resurrection from this Messiah upon whom the Spirit rested was that it was true when God said there was good in what he had created and that our job as communities of faith as people of faith was to be so playful in the way we went about our life that we found all of those pockets of goodness amidst the muck and played with them until they and we could become our fullest selves present to one another and present to the God who made us in some new reality we create together when reality is too hard to stand. One of the things I gained from the reading on playfulness theology I did for this series is the difference between play and escapist fun. Right? Fun is good. So you don't have to distrust fun. Fun can be wonderful. Part of the teaching is that the Holy Spirit is working through us through fun and desire and joy, not just through the hard stuff. Um, but there is a difference between play, which makes all things possible out of what is real and what is, and escapism, which says what is is so hard, I will distract myself. Right? It's the difference between numbing yourself with a book or TV and reading a book that makes you imagine yourself as a whole new self and the world as a whole new world. Same thing, different way that the spirit is working within you. And the difference is that fun says, I wanna leave reality behind, which right now amidst global crisis and pandemic and pain, a lot of us really get. I wanna leave reality behind. I wanna get rid of it, it's too hard for me. But what the Spirit says is that that is not one of the options on the table. <laughs> reality is reality. But the Spirit promises, I can be with you 
so that with a spirit of playfulness, you can be in reality as it is, in the pain, in the hardship, and the darkness, and my spirit will alert you to the places inside all of that that still can be filled with joy and laughter and new creation. You can be real and through my playfulness and through the gift I am right from God that Christ has promised, you can find joy wherever and however you are. This is what it means to be playful not to avoid reality or control, right? This is why a lot of us fear being playful because we know that to be playful means to give up control and that makes us feel scared and bad because reality is so hard. <laughs> but when God shocks us with this promise of what the kingdom will be, God is saying to us, I know you don't like being out of control. I know you don't like knowing what to expect. But the only way you get from here to there is by learning how to put me in charge, by learning how to give me the reins. And you will do that when you give up control in favor of playfulness, which at the end of the day is a trust that the spirit is real and our friend and always with us. And that what God has said about creation is true, that no matter what things look like, there is something wondrous to be found if we look deep enough in the surface. So let us go forward led by this spirit towards the kingdom not there yet to be playful people, playing with God, playing with one another, and playing with the spirit who will always dance with us in delight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.